You know, I want to talk tonight about something that is uh, very practical for us as believers. Uh, and I want to use um, analogies here. Uh, Jesus, when he spoke in the Gospels here, we have that he used parables uh, in his teachings. So they contained examples of things from the natural world to explain spiritual truths. Because I cannot with my finite mind understand the spirit realm. I cannot with my limited mind understand the principles of God's Word. I can't. So the Lord has to give me illustrations to help me. And of course, when you read, uh, especially in the New Testament, it's an agrarian community. They talk a lot about farming. They talk about things that they knew of in their day that they could relate to and understand, used as examples for spiritual truths. Uh, for example, um, in Mark 4, Jesus spoke about the Word of God being seed, and that the soil is the condition of the human heart that receives the Word seed, and the sower plants the Word seed, and so on. And people in that day instantly understood what he was talking about because it goes beyond an intellectual grasp into an understanding of what they've experienced in life, and it, spiritual truth are just made a connection there by Holy Spirit. And that's normal. God does these things. So tonight I'd like to look at a topic from life um, that we can learn some spiritual truths from. And first of all, the topic is on vital signs in medicine. Right? In the medical community, uh, we, people get checked for vital signs. We have a nurse back there, a, a retired lieutenant colonel recently from the Air Force, uh, and she was a triage expert. Uh, and uh, so she can tell you all about vital signs better than I can. She probably checked many soldiers in the hundreds. Uh, but anyway, um, you know, vital signs, it simply means signs here, they mean indicators. Uh, just briefly to talk about this, um, they're necessary uh, for vital indicators to find out what's necessary for life to thrive in the human body. So these are areas necessary to uh, and essential to support human life, right? how they show how well life is thriving or lacking, right? Vital signs. They're essential for the continuation of life. They indicate how efficiently the body is or is not functioning. They indicate whether something is wrong or something needs immediate attention. They even indicate if the person's alive, right? Physical death is an absence of vital signs. Now, I am no medical professional. In fact, I am a medical dummy and a medical ignoramus. But I did find these things as I read. I didn't ask Mary Ellen. I could have. She should have, she would have told me. But I, I did read a little bit. In fact, I found, um, did not know this, that the first examination of vinyl signs were in the early 1600s when Galileo and, uh, what's the guy's name? Santorio published a book on uh, a thermometer that he had invented and how it worked. And uh, so and then the concept of vital signs, although they didn't use that word, uh, was first started in, in medicine. That, that's not important, but just, you know, something you might want to know. So anyway, here are the basic vital signs from medicine. And you probably know all these already. The heart pulse rate, heart and pulse are one. Blood pressure is another, right? You all know this. Respiration is another. And of course, somebody guess? I said it already. Temperature, right? What's their temperature? Now, there's other vital signs that have been included over the years. Pupils of the eyes, skin color, breath condition have all been considered part of vital signs. But those are the basic ones, the heart rate, the blood pressure, the pulse, of course, 
respiration, the temperature. So when these vital signs are happening um, uh, and they're, when any one of them are determined as lack of functioning, there's, of course, as I said, major cause for concern. And uh, so they have to be more closely monitored and then consistently maintained. So that's basically the extent of my medical knowledge on this topic. So as I mentioned, Jesus uses uh, parables here, uh, stories that have analogies for spiritual truths. So did you ever consider in analogy that there are also spiritual vital signs for a Christian as well? How about that? Christians have vital signs too. Ah, so tonight that's what I want to discuss, uh, the vital signs of a Christian. Something you might want to take note of. So let's look at these. The first vital sign, of course, is the heartbeat of a Christian. So like medical professionals would check a heartbeat, we check a Christian's heartbeat by how much time they spend in the Word of God. That's the Christian's heartbeat. What do they do with the Word of God? Because our heart should beat for the Word of God spiritually. Psalm 119, verse 11. I have treasured your Word in my heart. Wow, look at that. So that I might not sin against you. I love that scripture. Notice the heart here. That's the real indicator. If I put his word in my heart, there's a good chance I'm not going to run to sin so quick. I need to be treasuring his word constantly in my heart, pondering it over and over and over that I may not sin against thee. So the heart here becomes a real important issue as to check how that Christian is doing. Verse 97 of the same psalm. Oh, how I love your law, which you could translate in our days, word of God. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Now here the believer is doing something with the word of God. Like one would exercise the human heart by going to a gym, right? To strengthen it. Uh, by meditating in his word all day is a spiritual exercise for our hearts, right? We're taking our heart out for a workout. Yeah, and of course, meditation here is not the Eastern concept that we have of some fat guy wearing a diaper with a smile on his face, sitting on a hill. That is not biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is muttering to yourself. And what do you mutter to yourself? The Word of God. Yeah, I got to talk to myself? You're constantly talking to yourself. If you don't talk to yourself, you don't have a brainwave. All of us talk to ourselves. The question is, what do we say? Most people overhash again and again and again the problem they have. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? That is not biblical meditation. That, that's hurting yourself. But when we put the solution in our minds, in our hearts, and constantly repeat the Word of God to ourselves, now we're doing something with the Word of God. That's a biblical meditation. As it says in the book of Joshua, which we're not going to turn to, he's told to meditate on the Word of God day and night. Do something with the Word of God. And if you ever notice ascetic Jews ultra-conservative Jews, they take their prayer books, they don't read them, they mutter them constantly. Watch the lips. They're constantly reading them out loud. Why? They're muttering the Word of God. That is a sound biblical practice that we don't do. But anyway, so we have to do something with the Word of God. We mutter it. It's taking our spiritual heart and we're exercising it. So, uh, verse 116 of the same Psalm, 119. Sustain me according to your Word that I may live. And do not, not let me be ashamed of my hope. Okay, so the Word of God is going to sustain me. So it's my heartbeat. 
a Christian with a strong spiritual heartbeat is going to be a confident Christian. So we are sustained by the Word of God. If I don't put it in me, I'm going to have a weak heartbeat. So to have a strong heartbeat, it comes from the Word of God and what we do with it. Not just to read it for the sake of reading it, but speaking it to ourselves, especially when what we experience in our lives is contrary to what I'm reading. When what I experience in my life has got to go. It's got to move. My life has got to conform to the promises of God's Word, even if I don't see it. That's what I use the Word of God for, to move things out of my life that have no right to be there. So, uh, to have a strong heartbeat from time to time is what we do with the Word of God. Obviously, then, a, a weak spiritual heartbeat is a concern to us. Uh, little to no word, you're going to have a pretty weak spiritual heartbeat in our lives. So, uh, we must ask ourselves then, um, how well does my spiritual heart beat? Am I exercising it? So, this is an opportunity for all of us to remember to check our vital signs. Is my time in the Word strong? My heartbeat is strong. If it's not, I am not helping myself. I have got to get a stronger heartbeat in the Word of God. You getting this? Not hard, right? Just checking if you got it. All right, it's easy stuff. All right, let's go to the next one. Next vital sign of a Christian is the pulse. And the pulse of a Christian, medical professionals will check a pulse. Um, and it's closely related to the heartbeat. Am I right, Mary Ellen? It is. You wouldn't have a pulse if you didn't have a heart. Okay, right. So yeah, it's closely related to the heartbeat. So we need to check our pulse. And you know, odd for the believer, um, the pulse of, of a believer is giving. Isn't that an amazing statement? It's giving. It's natural for a Christian to want to give. It should beat in us like a pulse. One, I've met Christians over the years. I am so inspired by them. I don't meet them enough. They're excited to come to church to give. I, years ago, you, you wouldn't mail things if you would have to physically bring it. Today, we do things electronically. They, ha, they were excited to bring an offering. I remember one sister in the Lord, her husband was not saved, and she didn't want to disgrace him. You don't force somebody to do something they don't have face for. He absolutely refused to give. He wasn't a believer. He was a nice man, but he refused to, refused to give. He thought it was idiocy to have uh, money leave your hand and go to a church. So he refused to give. So she would occasionally be able to earn a little money uh, by selling antiques. And when she did, she was so excited, excited to bring 10% of what she just sold and put it in the offering. I mean, she nearly had tears in her eyes with such excitement. She had a strong pulse. That's the bottom line. And based on what I just said, it's worth repeating. You know, a lot of people are disappointed with their spouse that they're not walking as they perceive at the same level of spiritual maturity they have. You can't pull somebody up. You can't do that. You have to come down where they're at, where they can be in faith and agreement. And then let the Lord do the rest. So if you want to tithe 10% of your income and your spouse refuses, find where they can give and meet them where they're at. And let's believe God for a work of grace. And he will work a work of grace. Amen. You can't pull somebody up, but you have to come down where they're at and respect where their faith is at, especially if you're married. And uh, so you'd be in agreement together. A lot of Christian households, if we're honest, are not in agreement about how they give. And the thing is, you don't try to force somebody to do something they don't have faith for. Find what they do have faith for and encourage them that and rejoice in that. Now, men are usually the problem. 
So ladies, let me tell you something about men. They're not really here right now. Let me tell you something about men. Men are like little children. If you want to get something from them, they're not going to give you a lot. But when you do, praise them. Then they're excited and they give you more. And that encourages them. What a lot of mistakes women do with husbands is they expect their husband to do something. He does do a little and they make a major mistake. Well, that's not what I wanted. And they immediately slam him. And then what happens then? Well, I tried. No, he didn't. But I try. Give up now. You just push them back two steps. They're going to give you just a little bit. They think they gave you a lot, but they're going to give you a little bit, and you praise them for it, and then you're going to get more. So now the men can come back in the room. So you got that, ladies? That was just between us, all right? All right. How do the Word of God tells us, raise your husbands in the way that they should go, so that they weren't old, they will not depart from it. Very important. So usually in a lot of marriages, it's the husband that doesn't want to give more. But my point is, as a husband and wife, you should pray before you get to church, before you decide to give, and find out what you can give together in agreement in faith. And find out where that is and start there. Don't chastise your spouse for not being the high level of faith in your giving that, that, that you have. Hey, my wife has a motive gift of giving. Those of you who are here and we talked about spiritual gifts, her motive gift is giving. She'll give away everything we own. I'm not, I'm, I'm not ser I'm, I'm serious. I don't have a motive gift of giving. I'm always the one saying, well, uh, well, well we, 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 we do just fine. <laughs> and that frustrates her to no end because she wants more. So whenever I want to give more, the thing is, don't ever tell her because the answer is always yes. Uh, dear, I think I'd like to give. So what are you asking me for? Just do it. So... Uh, that's how it goes. You want to be in faith with the person you're married to that you would give in faith. So, um, it is our pulse of how we be. So, to be honest here, I've met many Christians over the years where Christian, their Christian pulse is quite low. They're almost spiritually comatose. Uh, but the reason why is they fear what they have left over, and they only tip the Lord. The Lord doesn't need your tips. He's, he wants your heart. He doesn't need your money. He wants your soul. He wants your heart. He wants your devotion. And you know, uh, selfishness is one of the main reasons why Christians don't give the way they ought to. And the good news is giving will drive out selfishness. I guarantee you it will. It will drive out selfishness from your life. And the Lord will use it to do that too. Um, here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 here, verses 3 to 5, Paul is writing to believers and he says to them, for I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave voluntarily. They wanted to do this, begging us with much urging for favor in, of participation in the support of the saints. Wow. Oh, please let me give. Isn't that something? I have met believers over the years. Every now and then you meet them. Something's happening. Oh, please let me give to this. I'm like, wow, uh, thank you. We're amazed to hear such comments. And he goes on to say, and this not as we had expected. This was a surprise to Paul here. But they gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So notice here very carefully in this Romans 8 uh, reading here, Paul isn't addressing the quantity of their giving. That's never the issue. That's a deeply personal thing. He's examining the quality of their giving. And the quality of our giving is a vital sign. 
that's the issue. Remember when Jesus uh, was uh, checking, he was, he was in the temple and watching how they gave. How about that? Jesus watches when they give. And of course, the very wealthy were throwing all their excess in that they really didn't even need. But it wasn't a gift of, 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 of a quality. It was a lot of money, but it wasn't a gift of quality. It was just the extra. And of course, in those days, uh, they could, the wealthy hired trumpeteers to come with them. So as they walked up to the uh, temple treasury, they would blow the trumpets and everybody would go, what's that? And they would watch them throw their money in. You've got to be kidding me. Yeah. But of course, there's the poor widow. She walks up and just uh, gives a, a mite, which is a barely a day, not even a day's wage. And what does Jesus say? She gave more than all of them. She gave out of her poverty and need. And Jesus was impressed with the quality of the gift and not the quantity. So for some folks, quantity is a personal thing. The Lord will require more as we have more. He will. And, but it's not the quantity that's the issue. It's the quality. Does he have your heart? And that is uh, the pulse here of a believer. So believers, um, here we have, as Paul had wrote, these believers made unselfish decisions in their giving. That's so cool. Uh, even when it wasn't convenient for them to give, they still gave. Wow. Uh, they did not want to give uh, of themselves. They did this as a personal dedication to the Lord. Then they wanted to give. So we see here, Paul mentions these believers. They are those that trusted God with their future, and they have joy on their faces when they give. Because I have met people, when they give, they have joy on their faces. Because it puts joy on your, in your heart, and it shows up on your face. So these believers, we would look at and say, they had a vital, vitally vibrant pulse. The pulse of a giver. I remember one time, just to quickly mention, uh, Pastor Wolf had said in a sermon many years ago, well, actually he said it more than once, he said, if you want to look at what's important in a Christian's life, look at their uh, checkbook ledger. When you look at their checkbook ledger, you'll know where their heart is at and what their pulse really beats for. And uh, that's something I never forgot. And that's really when you think about it, yeah, yep. A lot of them, they just beat for themselves, man. But beyond that, nope. The Lord watches when they put money in the offering. Isn't that wild? We see that in uh, the Gospels. I think he still does that now. He's watching. So we need to examine ourselves on uh, why we give. What's our purpose here? Why am I doing this? Uh, and I want to do it because of a joy in my heart, because it's natural for a believer to give. It's my pulse. So we need to take our own spiritual pulse every now and then. I would suggest you do it offering often. You know, am I doing this for the Lord? Don't do this for men. Am I doing this for the Lord? And uh, that is the pulse of a believer. Okay, let's look at our third one here, which is respiration, right? Another vital sign, the respiration of a Christian. Come on, this is easy. Prayer. Prayer. It is natural for a believer to pray. It should be as easy as breathing, Right? The believer is spiritually alive to God, so our prayer should be as easy and as needed as breathing is in the natural. Regular, methodical, and, and uh, pursuing. Um, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, uh, Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. Wow, that's a strong word. Devote yourselves to prayer. Doesn't say devote yourself to giving. How about that? Doesn't say devote yourself to witnessing. 
devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. That's one of those, let me meditate on this for a whole month uh, verses. That says so much in it. So let's read that again out of the Amplified Bible. It's not going to be on the overhead screen. Be earnest and unwearied and steadfast in your prayer life, both being alert and intent in your praying with thanksgiving. Wow. Too many times Christians only pray in times of desperation. They only pray when they're desperate. And praying when you're desperate is like gasping for air in the natural because you can't breathe. Uh, because you're just trying to stay alive. That should not be. That should, that's when you appreciate how much breath it really means. And by that time, the Christian at least, hasn't uh, lived the lifetime of developing the lung power, right? Swimmers usually have much bigger chests, much bigger lung capacity. Uh, and I don't know if you knew this, President Ronald Reagan used to be a great swimmer. And uh, when they had him on the operating table and they had to um, remove the bullet he had, they were shocked at his breathing capacity, how, 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 how much his chest expanded when he, when he took breath, because he had been a swimmer all his life. They were impressed with it. Uh, that shows you what he had done all of his life to his body. And likewise with the believer, uh, if we live this way normally, we get these really big spiritual lungs so that when we need to pray, we are someone to be dealt with in the spirit realm. Thank God for those little grandmas in their prayer closets. They are, they are dangerous to the enemy in, 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 in the spirit realm. Amen. Because they know how to pray. They have exercised their prayer breath. <clears throat> and... Uh, <clears throat> In the 1980s, uh, there was a survey taken uh, to a particular denomination of evangelical pastors. I have no idea which. And it was found from the survey that the average pastor prayed 15 minutes a day. This American church group had a respiration problem. Really? That's it? Their vital sign of respiration was low. That's not good. I mean, that's barely a morning, good morning, Jesus. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Wow. And we wonder why the American church overall has had such difficulties over the years and has lost so much effectiveness. Yeah, that's a serious issue. Uh, those who devote themselves to prayer here in Colossians that we read, however, these are content saints, right? These are people where uh, they breathe well in the Spirit. And of course, I always need to say this because some people don't know. When I say the word saint in, in the Word of God, we're not talking about people with halos on their heads. Uh, those are a denomination of their works have been highlighted, et cetera, et cetera. Saint means holy one. When you become born again, something changed inside of you in the spirit realm. You became a holy one. Whether you feel like it or not, or look like it or not, you're a holy one to God. And, and when the word from the Greek, I think it's Santos, I could be wrong. The word from the Greek is saint. So that's where we get that in English. So a saint is simply the holy ones. We as believers, I, you know, if I say uh, the Christians, I could always say the saints. And I'm perfectly scripturally correct. I'm saying the holy ones. Very important that we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ as that. These are holy ones. Right? Doesn't tell us in Romans, blessed are the feet of them that bring good news. When you walk into a room, good news came into the room because you came into the room because you're a holy one. 
Now, we're not saying that you can get a puffed up head and go scratch your head like this. We're not talking about that. We're talking about recognizing for who you are. It's very important that we see ourselves as God sees us. Because the world will lie to us every day and tell us how unimportant we are. And people who have more money than you are better than you, blah, 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 blah. God sees us as a holy one. I need to talk about myself as a holy one. I need to talk about my brothers and sisters in Christ as holy ones. If I see them as holy ones, I'm going to treat them different maybe, right? I'm going to look at them different, talk about them different, treat them different. Holy ones. We are holy ones unto the Lord. So these saints here in the book of uh, Colossians, they were content saints, content holy ones. They breathed well in the Spirit. So these are believers who know their Father God, and Holy Spirit leads them in prayer. They have a prayer life. This is a vital sign of a believer. And I would encourage you to always check your vital sign. How's the respiration coming? Or do you have a prayer life where Jesus is the focus of your day? You know, I live a life where my prayer is all day long. Don't plan it that way. It's just how I live. Everything goes to prayer, right? See people that don't look right. Oh, help them, Father, in the name of Jesus. Grace to these people. Or um, you walk into a building. Thank you, Lord. I have favor with everybody I come in contact with today. I'm in constant prayer dialogue all day. So we want the prayer life of a believer. Okay, the fourth one here, our last vital sign, is temperature. A lot can be said about this, but I think when we really look at the Word of God carefully, uh, our zeal to serve the Lord and to pursue Him is our temperature. Uh, it can be zeal, an eagerness, a hot pursuit of the things of God, the person of God, uh, or it can be speaking of His presence to those that we come in contact with. Uh, let's use an example here, simple from uh, Paul's words again. This is from the New King James Bible. <laughs> Excuse me, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12. It's regarding spiritual gifts, but he says, even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. That we should be zealous. What a passion driving us. That's our temperature. Uh, also, we see here the Christian life is marked by our witness of Christ to all those that we come in contact with, right? Um, especially in how we live our lives in front of them. So many people are so zoomed in on my witness. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? How do you live your life in front of them, though? Especially when you're... Um, if they know you, and you're saying one thing to them and living a different life. You know Mahatma Gandhi, the Hindu, what he said to the British? I would accept your crisis if it wasn't for you Christians. He was also very smart. Now, no excuse, you still need Christ. But yeah, they weren't living a life that they were proclaiming. And he noticed it, and he saw their words as empty. How sad. So yeah, how we live our lives very often in front of other people is how hot, if you want to use the word, we are for God, or how normal our temperature is for the Lord. Uh, also, a Christian's life, yours and mine, should be marked by how we're involved with the Lord's church. You know, it is normal for believers to gather together. It's not normal when they don't. And when we gather together, uh, we're involved in the life of the body of Christ. And uh, the, the Lord's church this fellowship of believers should be my life. 
I mean, I have relatives out there. I never see them. When they found out I was, uh, I was born again, they didn't want to talk to me anymore. They were polite. They didn't want to talk to me anymore. Who did my family become? You. You became my family. Never had any brothers and sisters in the natural. Got many of them right now. Yeah. Uh, you became my family. Rosemary had the exact same view. This is my family now. The body of Christ is my very life. Uh, even if I was not serving here as a pastor, I'd still be here because my life is here. My life is here with my family, the body of Christ. And I take that real serious. So when believers fall back from church life, it's a low temperature. They do not have a normal temperature. And that should concern them. Now, I'm, I understand the COVID years have been bizarre for us. We've never seen this before in our lifetime where people needed to be away uh, for protection from, uh, you know, uh, the virus, et cetera, et cetera. I understand that. And it's been hard for some folks to get back in. I understand. But I'm talking about the normal fellowship of believers. When somebody chooses, no, I don't think I want to hang around those people. I don't think I want to go to church. Wow, your temperature isn't very good. Attendance at church uh, to f too many people become an optional experience. Uh, and uh, that's a sign of a low temperature. Your vital sign is low. Uh, also, when we're talking about speaking for Jesus here, too many American Christians never share their faith. Never. The great Chinese Bible teacher, Watchman Nee. Anybody ever read any Watchman Nee? Oh, more should read it. Guy was, oh my gosh, what a blessing. Read his book, The Normal Christian Life. It's been considered one of the best Christian books of the 20th century. The Normal Christian Life. Anyway, Watchman Nee said, and I don't know, it could have been that book. He said, if, um, if when people come to know Christ as their Savior, if they don't tell others about Christ in the first year of their salvation experience, they never will. And he was 100% correct. And he wrote that in the 1920s. He was 100% correct. So many believers never tell others that they're a believer. They never tell uh, the world out there they're a believer. They never open up their mouths and show that they care for somebody else's soul. Or do acts of kindness and love for other people to show them that they're loved. Our acts of kindness mean so much more sometimes. And so both of these conditions, being in fellowship with believers, speaking for Christ to those that don't know the Lord as their Savior, both of these conditions, when we don't do these things, are not normal. That is not the normal Christian life. This is not how Christians ought to live their lives. Uh, we want the normal Christian life, which is to be in fellowship with the body of Christ and to live our life of faith before others, whether they want to hear or not. We can always love them in the Lord. But um, that's our temperature. So we need to take our temperature frequently and ask, am I a normal believer with a normal temperature? Uh, so as we can see here, these are now vital signs of a Christian that we need to keep an eye on. I uh, hope you'll remember this. It's easy to remember. Yes. Uh, so these vital signs are very important also for pastors. Um, they need to be looking at the spiritual health of their congregations. Uh, pastors are supposed to be checking vital signs too. Now, Pastor Tom is a nice man. He's not going to put a thermometer in your face. If he does, tell him, don't do that to me. And he'll, he'll listen. But um, we're supposed to be looking for vital signs. Is the congregation thriving over the things I just said? Or are they failing to thrive? If they're failing to thrive, spiritual intervention is needed by the pastors to do something for the church under their care. You know, why do 
we have certain sermon topics over a year on a Sunday, especially the way they're done. Well, it's, it's a normal diet for the Christian body of Christ. Obviously, we don't feed people potato chips every Sunday. Hopefully, we don't do that, right? A, a normal home fills, feeds a well-balanced diet, so should we. But also, it's so that our vital signs remain vital. We need to encourage one another of how to have vital signs. And, uh, right, we look to medical professionals to tell us uh, what we need to eat and don't eat and do and not do because they know more. And don't we want to also then listen the same way from those who are charged by giving a care for the Lord's church to check out their vital signs. Um, unfortunately, in the body of Christ, if we're really honest here, too many people live lives with very low vital signs. They are not thriving believers. Uh, we need to be the normal Christian, not the average Christian. The average Christian we see from day to day is not the normal Christian. The normal Christian is our model, comes from the Word of God. We have vital signs, and they thrive, or at least we try to have them thrive. But the average Christian, in America especially, doesn't live that way. They actually have very low vital signs, and that's alarming, uh, very alarming. We want to be the normal Christian always, never the average one. For the average one, we're in deep trouble. We have to, uh, uh, I believe the Church of Grace and Peace strives to be normal Christians. I really do. Uh, I have to say that definitely over the years as I've known the folks here. They're not your average Christians. Um, but low vital signs in the medical area are a cause of alarm. Low vital signs in the Christian church is a cause for alarm. So spiritually here, it's a kind of a different topic, but I wanted to speak a little bit about it tonight. Uh, spiritually speaking, low vital signs is known as the picture of a slumbering spirit. This is a condition of the human spirit where people are believers, but they are spiritually asleep. They have no clue of what's going on in the spirit realm. Nothing. They're asleep, and they need to be awakened onto righteousness. Let me give you a really good example. Many, many, many years ago, when the dinosaurs worked up and down the road here, uh, we, had, we were in a different building as a church, and we were in a school, and this back in the mid-80s, and Pastor Walt was worshiping. And uh, when he worshiped, he did what was normal. He worshiped intensely. He wasn't a loud, noisy guy. That was not his personality. But his eye, when his eyes were closed, this man was in his own, and he was intent in his worship. It was me and Jesus, and no one else in this room exists. That's how he—that should be normal. Okay. He's worshiping here. And this guy walks up to him. He's in worship. Oh, we shouldn't have done this. This guy walks up to him. And this man was very intelligent. Uh, I won't say what he did for a living. Uh, I, he's gone home to be with the Lord. But he was very intelligent, very wealthy, uh, bright man, elderly guy. He taps Walt on the shoulder. And when you do that to a Walter Healy when his eyes are closed, it's like the earth just shook. Uh, you just pulled him out of another realm that he was in. And he is not a happy guy. And he looked at him, and he knows this guy well. He looked at him, and the guy stopped. This would be like, uh, the church on, in the back, it's on fire. We have to go. That, that's what that would be, right? No. The guy looked at him and said, um, I have two suits I want, I want to give away. Uh, do you know someone in the church is about my size? I have very expensive suits. I'd like to give them as a gift to someone who could use them. And Walt's like, blink, blink, blink. 
this guy is telling me about two suits he wants to give away? Now? 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 I mean, this is as intimate as you get as a believer, right? You're in worship. I can't believe this guy, and he's talking to himself, he's not going to be rude and yell at the guy. I can't believe this guy is, is so insensitive that he's going to say this right now. So I said to the guy, we need to talk about this another time, not right now. Oh, okay. And the guy goes back. Now this guy's not dumb. He actually knows the Word of God well. I think he was even, uh, he had gone to a Bible school at one time. The guy's not stupid. Wh wh why would he act like that? He was asleep. This is a worship service, and this man is spiritually asleep. He does not know what's happening around him. All the time his mind is, oh, I want to give away two suits. They're really expensive. The pastor will know who to give. No, he doesn't know who to give it to. But, but off he goes. And that is an example of someone that's asleep in the spirit. Uh, they've fallen asleep spiritually. Their spirit is not functioning the way it's supposed to function. Um, they're not walking with the Lord and relating to the spirit of God the way they should, the way they could. So vital signs here that we're talking about tonight is a very important issue here. Vital signs in the natural can vary with people medically. Uh, and also, with a slumbering spirit, there are varied degrees of the slumbering spirit and how spiritually dull some people can be and sleep. Some are totally asleep. Others are just oblivious to the move of the Spirit of God. They wouldn't know it if they saw it. Uh, so there are many in the body of Christ that slumber. I believe there's a great deal that slumber. Other examples here of a, uh, or symptoms of a slumbering spirit. Christians that so easily fall into sin and they have no personal awareness of it. Anybody else would be like, what are you doing? Huh? What? Huh? They don't get it. People, uh, on the more severe level, people who practice sexual sin and they don't think there's anything wrong about it. They're claiming they're believers. And they don't think like it's a big deal. Huh? Huh? Early Christians were always known for abstaining from sexual sin. Because if you lived in the Roman Empire, you knew sexual sin. And um, unbelievable. Uh, also, Christians that are insensitive to how they hurt others. Christians that have totally no interest in the Word of God. Uh, I don't know if you remember All in the Family, Archie Bunker. The Bible was on top of the television. What? That's where it belongs. Do you pick it up? No, that's where it belongs, right there. On the top of the television. They didn't read it. <laughs> there totally no interest in the Word of God. Very often, also another symptom, totally no prayer life. They only pray when they're desperate or when they want others to pray for them. They rely on others to pray for them because they have no confidence in their own prayers. So they constantly want others to pray for them. Uh, and here's another very common, common sleeper. When you're in a church worship service, uh, they have no clue that the presence of God is there. None. Often they're just spectators with these blank looks on their faces staring at you. Have you seen that? There isn't a church that hasn't. There isn't a worship leader that hasn't. And if they're a good worship leader, they've got to go inside. Ah, oh, they don't get it. Yeah, they just stare at you. Blind. I'm not saying we judge one another. Don't get me wrong. 
But if you're in a church service when you have the crowd, look around. You get a lot of, they just stare. They're totally unaware of what's happening in the spirit realm around them. They don't even know there is a spirit realm around them. Uh, amazing. I remember very recently, a guy, he's on his phone, he's on his Facebook or whatever, maybe for, not 20 seconds, he's there for 10 minutes. I'm like, uh, there's worship going on. He has no clue and doesn't care. Professed believer? Wow. Wow, 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 wow. How can you be in the presence of, of uh, the Spirit of God and not even know it? They don't know it. They have no clue. Um, in marriage, a lot of problems uh, of the Christians experience in marriage, uh, they have a spouse that's totally insensitive to them or totally insensitive to their needs. They don't even know their spouse has needs. That spouse is asleep. That's the spouse that's asleep, which is an important key here for anyone listening to this online or on a podcast. Don't judge your spouse. Pray for them. They need your help. Would you ignore your spouse if they were bleeding? I hope not. Uh, uh, so, but if you spot a slumbering spirit, be the spouse that will pray this person through it. Realize there's a warfare for your marriage. Pray for them. They need to be awakened spiritually. That, that doesn't mean the frying pan at night when they're sleeping. Not that. But I mean, they need to be awakened. They're asleep. They don't get it. They, they, you obviously didn't marry them like that. What happened to them? They fell asleep spiritually. It's a spirit. My point is, it's a spiritual issue. Um, we could mention a lot more examples of the slumbering spirit. I don't want to do that tonight. It's not a teaching on the slumbering spirit. But notice everything I've just said here um, about a slumbering spirit is an issue of Christians with a low spiritual vital signs. They're low and they're not thriving. So when we have Christian vital signs that don't thrive, and there's many of them that don't thrive, you're falling asleep. Right? People can slip into a coma or people can slip into unconsciousness. Right? If vital signs are low, people can slip into a spiritual slumber. I kid you not. This is real stuff. Um, in my personal view, uh, there are many, many in the body of Christ who spiritually sleep to one degree or another. I think the church in America is asleep. In other countries, it's even worse. Um, and again, this bears, uh, we're saying here that um, when Christians have low vital signs, you're most likely looking at a slumbering spirit. So biblical counseling is useless to them uh, because they're just not going to get it. These people need deliverance. They need to be awakened, right? Don't we pray for, what do we often pray for? Revival. What does that mean? I was once awake, I'm gone now, wake me up again, revive me. I mean, that's why we pray for revival. The Lord's church needs to be revived first before we can even reach the community. It needs to be revived. A couple classic scriptures here. I'm not making this stuff up. Ephesians chapter 5. You'll see this in several scriptures. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. How about that? Paul had this problem in his day. Of people asleep. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. This is the biggie. I'm not going to read the verse before and after, but basically it says, do, Paul is saying, do this, knowing the time is already the hour for you to awaken from 
sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than we first believed. Does anybody know the, a little history about this verse? A uh, great man of God, St. Augustine. There are very few people in the history of the Christian church that have affected the Christian church. First and foremost, without a doubt, Paul. But a few in the history of the church, after him, the next one was St. Augustine. St. Augustine has so greatly affected us more than we can think of. In fact, if you're a church, and we do, has children's church, that goes back to St. Augustine. St. Augustine, I don't remember the exact quote, but he had the famous quote, give me a child and I'll have him for life. That meant, give me a child and let me teach him the word of God and he'll grow up a believer and he'll stay that way. That's children's church. That was, that's St. Augustine, third, fourth century. Amazing. <laughs> my personal belief, <clears throat> full of opinions tonight, my personal belief, the most important ministry in a church is children's church. Children's ministry is the most important ministry in a church. If we fail with that, we have failed our existence. We're just a bunch of selfish believers. Bless us for Lord and no more. We're, we are just selfish people. You, uh, over the centuries, children's church has been the most important, or children's ministry. Cannot emphasize that enough. It's the greatest, one of the greatest honors we can have is to serve in children's ministry. I really, really mean that. But anyway, here, St. Augustine. Before he was St. Augustine and got the plate, before he was that guy, he was a playboy. He used to spend his nights having sex with different women, getting drunk and waking up somewhere and let's go do it again. That's how he lived his life. One day he was at, he had, had his night of sex, he was drunk, he fell asleep alongside of a tree and he was sleeping it off. Now I don't remember the story if the person was on another side of the tree, it must have been a big tree, or very close, but they were reading the scriptures, this, out loud. And that verse, verses I think 9 through 11 or something like that, it woke up Augustine and all of a sudden supernaturally it's like a lightning bolt hit this guy, a wake up sleeper. Um, you know, the verse prior to this talks about your, your, the times of your sin has come to an end, awakening to righteousness. This guy fell on his knees and got saved. And for the rest of his life he got the plate. He was saying Augustine. Wow. That's how powerful the Word of God is when it's spoken. You just don't know. I know a sister in the Lord. She used to attend here. She attends a different church now. She was raised Jewish. And back in the 70s, I think it was, she was uh, early 70s. And she was walking with a friend in the park. Um, the friend was a bachelor and Christian. They, they were both smoking marijuana. They were both out there. And the friend was quoting to her John 3:16 while she was smoking marijuana. This person was Jewish, had never heard that in her entire life. All of a sudden, instantly sobered up, was not stoned any longer, and became a Christian. Just by the Word of God being spoken. She had a St. Augustine experience. Wild. So you have no clue sometimes, we don't, how powerful the Word of God is when we deliver it. You just don't know how it's going to fall in someone's life. It's absolutely amazing. So anyway, this was the conversion of St. Augustine. This, this, this scripture here in Romans 13. So it's interesting here, uh, if we do a study in the Word of God, which we're not going to talk about tonight, about the sleeper. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. People are dull in the spirit realm. So this is a low vital sign of great importance to us. So as we kind of like put this together tonight to a close, perhaps the Word of God is what should speak to us. And then we'll just close in prayer. In 1 Thessalonians, it's a long reading, 
chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. This speaks to, now you've got to remember, believers in the first century who had low vital signs. Perhaps they were just asleep in the light. And the Apostle Paul writes to them and says this, Now as to the periods and times, brothers and sisters, you need no, you need of, you have no need of anything to be written to you. So obviously they weren't dumb of the Word of God. They had teachings. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. And while they were saying peace and safety, then all of a sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that that day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of the day. You are not sons of the night or sons of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but be alert and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. For those who are drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let's be sober. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So if our vital signs, amen, brother. So if our vital signs become low, we need to strengthen what remains, what's weak, so that we would be alive and thriving as lives in Christ as we were meant to. Um, probably we all stand. <clears throat> Father God, please bow your hearts with me. Father God, we ask you to awaken us in whatever area in our lives that we have fallen asleep, Father. Whatever vital sign that is not thriving as it should, that tonight, Father God, a new beginning happens in our lives as we leave here that our heads don't understand and don't need to understand, but our hearts make a decision to yield to your spirit. That we would leave here, Father God, with our vital signs thriving. Our vital signs as the normal believer, not the average believer. That, Father God, we would not have the slumbering spirit in us, in our homes, in our lives. But, Father God, that we would be uh, revived unto you, Lord, awakened unto righteousness, and living our lives and making decisions in our lives that show we are awake. Father God, that we would not be asleep when your spirit moves, but recognize the moving of your spirit, Father, because we are awake unto your spirit. We thank you for this, Father, in the name of Jesus in these days ahead, that we would be praying for others as we notice them sleep, that they would awake, and that, Father God, we would be a people constantly vigilant for the day is evil that we live in. And your appearance is even closer now than it ever has been in the history of the Christian church. Father God, we live in exciting days and times, Father, but times when we need to be awake and not in slumber. We thank you for this in Jesus' name, for these days ahead here at the Church of Grace and Peace, those that would listen on podcast or live tonight on internet, that, Lord God, we would be a people vibrantly awake, Father, in tune to the voice of your Spirit. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, unto ourselves, we declare, amen.